Hi, you are listening to episode 23 of Desi Geek Girls. I'm Preeti Chibber. And I'm Swapna Krishna. And we are recording on Saturday, February 17th. It's been a while, I feel like, since our last yeah, episode. I do. I think it's been a while. And we both had like some kind of packed weeks. And I've been sick. <laughs> and so apologies if I start coughing while we are recording. Because... Ugh. But it's been some full, there's been some, we've had some things happening in our lives. Yes, yes. It's Along been a busy Black couple Panther, of weeks. Which is, which is a big thing in our lives as well, I feel like. Yes, so we'll be, we'll be talking about Black Panther uh, in, a, in a few minutes. But first, let's, let's talk about some of the things we've experienced. You had a very, very exciting couple of yeah. weeks. Last week was, I mean, it was, I, the only way I can describe it is surreal. I feel like last week was a month. Like the <laughs> happened in one week was like I think about it and I was like that was like that was last week. So um I talked about this on um I guess last month's episode. Um but I went down to see SpaceX launch its Falcon Heavy rocket. Now the Falcon Heavy is now because it launched, it's now the biggest operational rocket in the world since um the Saturn Vs that sent us to the moon with the Apollo program. Um and I got there on, so they announced the date. It was, it was this cr- insane scramble. They announced, um, they announced the date. Basically I had the date about 24 hours before it was an- officially announced because I have friends who know people at SpaceX. And so, um, I was able to, you know, basically make the scramble and get all my reservations in order. Um, which was awesome because it's impossible to get hotel rooms, um, and stuff for these launches and so got down there on sunday monday basically was spent at the nasa press site and we like they basically took us around in buses and got us like five different views of the rocket on the launch pad which was really cool because one of them was like inside the perimeter of the launch gate like we were really close it was very cool um, and then the launch happened on Tuesday, which was its originally scheduled date, which we did not expect because it was a test launch. But so it was very cool. I cried a lot. I cried a lot. <laughs> and um, but there's also coming out of it a lot of mixed feelings. It was a very cool thing. Um, but this is kind of SpaceX's move in some ways it's first move to becoming kind of the self-appointed colonizers of the solar system. Cause NASA is kind of dropping the ball on that. Right? And um, it's like privatized. It's private. It's a private is, company owned by little, Elon Musk. It's a little worrying. Um, I think the fact that it's private, there is, are some worries there. Um, there were, but also just, they're the self-appointed colonizers of the solar system mm-hmm. and they're mostly white and they're mostly male. Mm-hmm. And that's who we have to hold them accountable to because no one else does. Like, who else? I'm so, I don't want to take away the awesome accomplishment of this rocket and how excited I am. But also, like, I, I worry because NASA is stalling. Like, there's budget issues. There's, you know, I'm not going to go into it. But there are significant worries now that, like, NASA's... The idea was originally that NASA would kind of hand the keys over to low Earth orbit and the ISS so it could focus on further out travel. And uh-huh. that budgets aren't allowing that to happen. And NASA, we know diversity is one of NASA's 
values like as like i talked about the last the newest astronaut class on this podcast like you know like they make an effort to recruit um astronauts that look like the the diverse country that we are and the diverse world that we are it's uh, it's international partnerships when it comes to nasa like for example one of the astronauts on the international space station space that was a weird emphasis but it was international Space space station space station the space station right now is jaxa which is japanese the japanese um space agency so we work with international partners to make sure it's diverse and like i just i don't know like this is a thing i'm gonna have to start talking about a lot and i'm going to Mm -hmm. because we need if if spacex is going to colonize i think like there was a 2016 study their for in 2016 their female workforce was 14 percent so can I ask you what the implications are of this rocket launch? Because I am a layman, and sometimes when you no. talk to me about space, I'm like, this all sounds great, but I don't know what anything means. So this rocket launch, honestly, the implications of this rocket launch aren't... It's a huge deal because it is the largest operational rocket now in the world, which means it can carry really heavy stuff into space. Right. That's the bottom line. It can carry really heavy stuff into space. So, like, if we want to assemble a new space station, if we want to assemble a a lunar, like a Mars or lunar, um, like a lunar, like right now on NASA's agenda is a, a space station that will orbit the moon. It's like a more of an outpost than a space station. But like it was a space station that will orbit the moon that is na- in NASA's agenda in the next decade. And this rocket will be able to construct that. Whereas before it was going to be a lot harder because we didn't have, there's the Delta IV Heavy, which is a heavy lift rocket, but the Falcon Heavy can construct, like can lift twice the amount of the Delta IV Heavy in terms of pounds into Earth orbit. Mm-hmm. So All it's right. basically it's a construction rocket. Like if we want to construct something in space, this rocket is what's gonna it's what's going to do it. I'm just so, thinking I'm thinking back to when I was twelve, I think, and I went to space camp. And- oh <laughs> that was like a jealous, like oh it was space camp. It was and really parents- really cool yeah like my parents were willing to send me and like the introvert kid I was like I was too like shy to go and I'm really what if we would have gone the same year I went to I mean I went to the one in Huntsville Alabama yeah yeah that's yeah. the official space camp and I remember like when we would talk about building moon bases so this was like in 1995 1996 Uh-oh. something like that so it's so funny to me like 20 years later I mean, we like, okay, let me just put this into perspective what's going on with NASA right now. I don't really want to um, like harp on about this because I have been. But and keep in mind, this is according to the president's budget, not the budget approved by Congress. But what's opposed by the president's budget right now or what's been proposed by the president's budget right now is that um, we'll build a lunar outpost in orbit of the moon and we'll we'll start constructing moon landers to like explore moon landings in the 2020s and start developing, start developing a moon lander to take humans to the surface of the moon in 2024, which means it won't happen pretty much. If it happens in the 2020s, it'll be at the end of the decade. This is what we did in the 1960s. Right. So we're just doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But with maybe 
better technology. Better technology and better. And the idea is it's supposed to be a stepping point to Mars. But if we're not even getting to the surface of the moon by the end of the... (laughs) We can dream bigger and it's so conservative and it doesn't need to be. And it's just very frustrating to watch. Well, all right. Yeah. So that, okay, so that was a really long rant that I did not expect to go on. Anyway, but the Falcon Heavy itself was just really cool. It's basically signifying that we're kind of back. Like, as a country, in terms of space travel, we're back. We're going to do this. We're getting there. It's, it's, almost, it's almost bigger in terms of symbolism than it is as an actual rocket. Because, like, even during the pre-launch and post-launch press conferences, Elon Musk had already turned his eyes to kind of the next bigger thing, which mm-hmm. is the PHR, which is... SpaceX's even bigger rocket, which is fine. I mean, that's what he does. But uh, yeah, it was really cool. But this day was a just an unreal day for me because I got an email at about 3 p.m. asking me if I wanted to interview Michelle Yeoh that evening. <laughs> I know. And I, I was like, they're like, we're saving you a slot. Do you want to interview Michelle Yeoh? And I'm like, and this is how tired I was by that point. I almost said no. And I was like, uh-uh, you got to say yes to this. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I almost said no. And I was like, oh, I, I can't do that. Like, I will I will regret it for the rest of my life if I say no to this. And so I said yes. And, like, I almost didn't make it. Okay, this was my evening. Like, I'm in the car, and it was, like, two <laughs> hours of traffic. Because, like, the rocket took off at, like, it was, like, 3.45 p.m. was when the rocket took off. And so by, we had to do, like, you know, post-launch stuff and, like, get all, like, I had to, like, write up some stuff. And so I had to get back to my hotel room by 8. I wanted to eat something because I hadn't really eaten all day. And I knew that there was going to be a post-launch press conference. So literally, I'm in my car, two hours of traffic, watching the clock, like, freaking out about, like, do I have to do this in my car? If I don't get back to the hotel by, like, 8 p.m., I'm listening to a press conference on speaker, on speakerphone, texting my editor and going through Taco Bell drive-thru. <laughs> and I'm like, this, I, I should be, I should win a medal for this. <laughs> but I did get back in time and I interviewed her and you can see the interview on Sci-Fi Fangirls. I cried a lot during the interview. Um, I think I hit it well. But she was so gracious and so nice. And it really did. Like, I've done a lot of interviews at this point, um, just with, like, all kinds of, you know, like, a few celebrities, but just a lot of, you know, people. And I think it was my best. Um, And she did, like, when I told her that I had written the article about her accent, she, like, just, she was... I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. She was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you wrote that. Like, you wrote that? I I can't believe I'm talking to you. And I was like, you can't believe you're talking to me? Like, what? Um, (laughs) It was really good. And she said thank you. Like, she basically credited the article for, like, kind of sparking interest in the show in Asia. And it was a really incredible experience. And I cried a lot. And that was that. (laughs) It was a really tear-heavy day. Yeah, I cried so much that day. (laughs) I can't even, I can't even. Okay, let's stop talking about me. <laughs> you've had a big week, a couple of weeks too, and I want to hear about them. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, um, I went to a screening of The Problem with Apu, which it's like kind of related to um, the Michelle Yeoh stuff because it's, it deals a lot with representation. So the premise is Hari Kondabolu, who's a, an Indian American comedian, 
um, did this bit on, oh, I can't remember the show. It's W. Uh, Kamau's show, Kamau, and about Apu from The Simpsons and how Apu for years and years and years, the, the entire duration of The Simpsons has been voiced in a very, very stereotypical and sort of ridiculous fashion by Hank Azaria. And who is, it, it, who, spoiler alert, not South Asian. Not South Asian. And I know that, you know, the idea of Apu, the idea of The Simpsons is that no one is safe. Everyone gets made fun of. However, <laughs> Apu was the only representation of South Asian people on TV for a long time. Yeah. And so... Hari made this documentary to talk about, to talk to Desi um, actors, um, frequently actors, about what it meant for them to be represented by this character. And he talked to like Simpsons producers. He talked to, he talked to, he talked to Whoopi Goldberg, which was really fun. Um, but it was put on by Sucky for South Asian Women, which is an organization that is dedicated, dedicated um, um, actually, I mean, representation is a part of it, but it's really dedicated to keeping survivors of domestic violence safe and to eradicating this stuff. So the way representation ties into something, to Sucky, is that representation humanizes us. Yeah. Right? It, it It's something that normalizes our existence in a way that we're not to be feared we're not to be othered we're not you know all of these things all Apu did for the South Asian community that had existed in America at the time was make non-Indian people see you and go thank you come again I wish people could see the look on my face right now <laughs> the number of times I got asked in like middle school if I owned a quickie mart oh yeah for sure and like not like, to say like I watched The Simpsons my whole life. Right. Right? I think like, every I think every South Asian kid who grew up, like, has a complicated relationship with Apu. Because, yes. like, I think everyone has gotten, like, everyone rolls, the, everyone I know when you talk about Apu rolls their eyes. Every, oh, so, yes. Yeah. Like, it's just like, ugh. Yeah. Really? And, and what was kind of cool about the event, so, like, I do recommend checking out the movie, like, there are. It, I, there, I, talk, I haven't seen it yet, so we, we haven't talked about it yet. But I would like to talk about it. Yeah, so we'll do we'll sure. do an episode on it because I think there are issues with it, but I do think that he does a good job in talking about what it means as a South Asian person. Like he interviews like Cal Penn, um, he knows Shido Set, like oh Asif Manvi, like a ton of like Desi actors, um, mm-hmm. which is you know already like a little exclusionary because who does Apu represent? Like, yes, Indian people, but also he represents that kind of shop owner. He represents like the more blue collar faction of the South Asian community that gets very little actual representation. Yeah. So it's a movie I absolutely recommend checking out. Maybe we'll talk about it in next month. um, If, if you have time to watch it, because I, guess i'll have to watch it again (laughs) but what was fun about the experience of seeing it in this setting you know put on by a south asian organization that is for women primarily by women like all of the people that i spoke to involved with the organization who work for the organization were women 
it was a room full of South Asian people. Like, everyone in, almost everyone in that room, in that audience, was South Asian. And we all laughed at the same points. We all, like, understood so deeply what we were watching. And it was such a sense of camaraderie. Like, I couldn't handle it. And afterward, there was a panel um, of South Asians to discuss the film. And mm-hmm. it felt, it's so rare to feel that sense of community, I feel like, in the arts, when you work in the arts, because there aren't that many of us, necessarily, yeah. um, no. that it gets a little difficult to pull everyone together in a room sometimes. Uh, I think the last time this happened was when I went and saw A.R. Dayman in concert. <laughs> which was an outstanding experience. Um, but it was interesting because I do feel like as a community, sometimes we we haven't quite taken that step of mm-hmm. really building necessarily a truly supportive community in a massive way. Yes, I like, 100% agree. There are pieces... There are pockets here and there, but there's no sense necessarily of like, if I put this out, if I have a thing that I need to be supported, that I can, I have an avenue through which I can be like, all of the Desi people, please support this. Yeah. We don't, we're just, we don't have that ground level organization. Exactly. And we don't. Yeah, like it's just, I mean, in some ways it's a different mentality it is. because we don't have the support of our larger community because it, I don't want to put it that way. Like we don't, chances are if you went into the arts or you're a writer or you're a filmmaker or you're like me, a journalist, like whatever, like you did not really have the support of your parents they would have much rather you done something else let's put it right they're slowly starting to be an understanding of what that means by the older generation we also as immigrants haven't been you know the 1965 like immigration like act and the the exclusion act that came before it meant that there wasn't really mass immigration until the 60s yeah, when most a lot of our parents came over. Right. So like there isn't we don't necessarily have like the numbers for it. We don't have the like length of stay in this country for it as a huge community. Of course yeah. there are people who have been here for generations. Um but so it's just but, yeah. interesting to see how we're slowly starting to figure out how to make art. You know, we talk about art that is created by South Asians for South Asians, right? The recognition that the person, the primary audience you expect to understand every piece of this thing is South Asian. Yeah. Something like Homecoming by Hassan Minhaj, I would say. There are other shows created by South Asians that tend to default to the non-South Asian gays first and mm-hmm. South Asian gays second. So culture is over-explained. Jokes are over-explained. Pieces of culture show, are shown to be less desirable. They're mm-hmm. shown to be weird. And what makes the South Asian character in those scenes, those things relatable is their rejection of cultural culture and rejection of tradition. Yeah. So that's something I think we have to grapple with as a community as well. And so this this um, event I went to to see the problem with Apu really sparked a lot of that conversation that I hope will continue. And um, I can't I, I cannot like recommend watching the movie. 
And also check out Saki.org, like S-A-K-H-I.org. They're great. They're a great organization. They're doing good work. And they have events all over New York City um, if you live in the area. So I, I plan to be attending more events um, and hopefully I'm planning to get more involved in the little time I have. Um, but yeah, it was just really cool. It was a really cool event and I had a really good time going to it. Um, everything that I'm going to talk about in the news is like somewhat related. So no, that's fine. Keep going. Another movie I saw that was also an event of with like a bunch of South Asian people was I saw Padmavat, finally. Formerly mm-hmm. titled Padmavati, mm-hmm. um, which we talked about the trailer when it dropped in like October, November, I think maybe yeah. last year. Yeah. Um, it's the new Sanjay Lila Bansali Bollywood movie. It stars Ranveer Singh, Deepika Padukone, and uh, Shahid Kapoor. Um... And so we should add that there has been a lot of controversy about this movie. Yes. And so, I don't want to go into it because it's just frustrating. It's just a lot. And they had yeah. to change the name. They'd made a re- The movie was supposed to come out in December. They re-edited it um, and put it out like a couple weeks ago. And it's... You can look up the controversy. It's a yeah. lot. Yeah. As a movie, it's pure Sanjay Leela Bansali, which means it's a lot of style, not a lot of substance. It's beautiful. Like, it is... I watched, like, eight YouTube videos about the costumes because they were so gorgeous. The music is amazing. I had, like, r- download the songs, watch the videos on YouTube. I don't know if you actually have to see the movie or not. This is how I feel about all Sanjay Lee. I know. So, like, like, Ranveer Singh was so good in it. He is, I think he's so talented. Um, he is, yeah, he is really talented. He's very talented. Basically, the story is uh, Ranveer, Ranveer plays Alauddin, uh, who is a Muslim sultan in Delhi, India. This is This takes place in, like, 1200s maybe somewhere in there 900 1200s something like that long 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 time ago before india was a country but was a bunch of like um rajputs like rajputs like yeah, yeah. it's a bunch of kingdoms um and so aladdin is in charge of delhi and the and the sultanate and he hears tell of this beautiful hindu queen um named padmavati who is married to a rajput it's just such a poorly written script. <laughs> like, <laughs> beyond being like, of course, oh it's Bollywood, God. it's problematic as hell. Like, all of those things. But it's also not well written. There is like a six month sequence in the movie where nothing happens, but it takes like 45 minutes. And nothing happens. It's just So let me guess, Deepika looks stunning. Oh, everyone looks amazing. I feel like I feel like his thing is like making like them two look stunning. And that's like half the movie. Uh yeah. Not that it takes a lot of work, let me (laughs) let me qualify that statement. But like just like putting them in the most intricate costumes and like Yeah, just watch watch some of the songs on YouTube. They're really good. There's a song that that didn't make it into the movie, but is actually my favorite song. I've been listening to, like, the three songs from this movie, like, since I saw it. I've listened to no other music. Uh, I 
Yeah, you don't need to see the movie. Just I'm looking up the soundtrack on Spotify right now to see if it's <laughs> so I don't forget. Yeah, just Google Padmavat song. There it is. Okay. Gumar is really it. good. Vinte Dil is really good. Naina <laughs> is really good. They're all really, really, really beautiful songs. There's my recommendation. All watch, right. Watch the songs. Watch the songs on YouTube. But what this goes into, so I don't know if I've talked about on the show yet that I am in a book that is coming out this summer. Okay. Um, okay. This is your authorial debut. I feel like in the, I don't know that we've talked about it and I feel like it needs more fanfare because it's really cool. <laughs> it's really cool. Like I'm so excited for you <laughs> because the story's so good. Okay, sorry. I just had to. No, had to, thank you. We're in an, it's an anthology. <laughs> okay, so let's talk. What is the anthology about? So the anthology is a young adult um, short story collection about Asian mythology and folklore. Uh, every author is of Asian descent, um, tackling different myths and legends from the entire continent. So it's not just South Asian, South Asian, South East Asian, East Asian, like runs the gamut. It's called A Thousand Beginnings and Endings. And where did that title come from? That is a line from my story, which is really exciting. And I still can't really believe it's happening. Um, uh, it's yeah, it's available for pre-order. Please go check it out if you're interested in this. It's everything from contemporary retellings to fantasy to all of it. Um, other people in the uh, anthology are Aisha Saeed, um, Oh my God, I'm like, blank. Cindy Pond is in it, who is an incredible writer. Like, there are so many, so many exciting names in this. Like, let's just say, if you like YA, like, then you will be so excited. Yes, about there are the a lot of big like, YA names. The, there's a lot of big YA names. Um, it's edited by Ellen O um, of We Need Diverse Books, and who is an amazing author in her own right. Yeah. And Elsie Chapman, who is also an author. Um, yeah, I was so thrilled when they asked me to do it a few years ago. And so the book is coming out June 26th, 2018. Uh, we, I have a few advanced copies, so definitely keep an eye on our Twitter account because I think we will be doing a giveaway. Um, and my story is about Navratri, which is my favorite Hindu holiday because it's a lot of dancing. Um, and it's about celebrating the divinely female. Um, and they had, so I was at, this conference called the American Librarian Association Annual, nope, Midwinter Conference yeah. that was in Denver, Colorado last weekend. And they had copies there. And I was like, oh my God, this is so weird and so cool. Did you immediately pick one up and like open No, your... I felt like such a huge nerd that like no! the first time I went through, I just looked at it and then I left. And then I came through the next day and was like, do you guys have any extra copies that I can have? And they gave me three copies. Yes. <laughs> I would have like opened it and I'm like, look, that's my name. Nope. That's my name. I you was guys like don't care. so awkward about it because I am not a cool person, as we have discussed. Yes. I am not cool. Yes. I am very awkward in real life. And so I just kind of was like, oh, look, there's my book. <laughs> so again, please check it out. It is called A Thousand Beginnings and Endings. Um, and I hope you guys, I hope you guys like it. And if yeah, you we'll don't, put a, we'll, we'll put a pre-order link um, in the show notes. Yes, we will. Um, but if you don't like it, just don't tell me. 
Yeah, just, don't. Tell, it's fine if you don't like it. That is okay. But please don't like to be crazy don't, and tell don't, her because that's don't tell me. that's a terrible thing to do. <laughs> um, <sighs> although I think if you don't like it, I don't. I don't. I, I mean, I don't know. I think I like it. I've seen this story in many inter- iterations. <laughs> and I think it's great, and not just because she's my friend, but because I would. T- I would. I would. She knows I would be honest and be like, eh, "You need to work on this." I <laughs> I That's love a you. true friend. A true friend yes. is the one. I only want to know if my friends don't like it. Yeah. I don't want to know if other people don't like it. Just don't tell That's, me. It's hard. Like, it's hard, like, putting <laughs> that kind of stuff out there. Like, it, it is. Um, uh, all right. So, on to the let's big... Talk, I, let's talk about Black Panther! Let's talk about Black Panther! Oh, my God! Oh, my Those God. I I saw it... So, you saw it on Tuesday. I saw it on Tuesday. I went to a screening, and I took our friend Jen... Um, to a screening and we I was so happy because um I had previously been to a Star Wars screening and like it was um like for the last Jedi and the theater was it was about I think I was the only person of color and it was um like 90% men. And so I was really worried about what this screening would mm-hmm. look like because I was like if it is if it's the same demographic I'm I'm going to be frustrated let's yeah. put it that way but it was it was majority people of color. Awesome. And that was really exciting. So, and it was huge. Like the screening, like in, in Star Wars, we had been in a very small theater. And because that screening was also like, it was, they kept it very quiet. Um, this one, they they um, opened it up, I think, to all press. And um, it was in a huge theater. Like, and the theater was packed, which is great because a lot of people were interested in it. I saw it Thursday night um, in Manhattan, and it was such a good experience. Um, yeah. A lot of uh, people came dressed in their, like, finest kind of African-influenced royalty oh! outfits. Everyone looked so beautiful. I felt like su- like such garbage. <laughs> I was, like, rocking jeans and a t-shirt. But, uh, like, so many people dressed up. So many people looked just absolutely gorgeous. Like, it was such a nice... A sense of, like... Were, was it comic book fans was it like did you get a sense of like if, was anyone there just like I've never seen a Marvel movie but I'm oh I'm you know. sure there was a yeah. lot of that um it was because I've seen a lot of Marvel films in that uh, in that theater in that theater night yeah um this was like you know what this actually wasn't all that different in terms of like what the audience was like going to see something like the problem with Apu or going to see Padmavat because it was people who were there because they were excited about finally seeing themselves on screen. Like, yeah. you know, um, it was, it was just, everyone looks so good. I like can't get over it. I saw this like guy as I was leaving the theater who was there for the next showing, like literally in a suit with a crown on. Oh, and I was like, you are so awesome. That is so great. Ugh. I, it was very cool. It was a very cool experience. Yeah. Oh, but this movie, I have not stopped thinking about it. Yeah, I, I have, this is going to be in some ways like hard to talk about because there's so much, like there's, there's so much, so much meaning, so many layers. Like it was so well done, like just as a movie, but also as a Marvel movie, but also as a movie that has this kind of representation. Like, it, there's so much going on so, here. So, like, the one thing that has stuck with me is that, I mean, a lot of things stuck with me. But, like, yeah. the number one thing that I keep thinking about from a from the perspective of a creator is that 
the writing in this movie is the best writing I've ever seen in a Marvel movie. The villain is the best villain we've yes. seen in one of these yes. Marvel movies. Because it's all like it's so character driven. Yeah. It's some it wasn't unlike something like Logan in that it's so focused on I think I was talking about this on Twitter and what like Ryan Coogler did was make a superhero movie where the none of it relies on the characters being superheroes. Right. So that's a piece of it. That is a facet of the film, but the film is so much bigger than that. And this is what we've talked about a little bit. We talked about it surrounding Spider-Man, where mm-hmm. Marvel needs to stop making superhero movies and start making genre movies that yes. feature superheroes. Like, Spider-Man Homecoming was a YA movie. Yes. Thor, Thor Ragnarok, like, same thing. Was it's like a buddy cop, like buddy comedy. Yes, like, yes. like it, it, it was, and they need to, and they're starting to slowly do that by, you know, honestly, a lot of it is giving these movies to people with different visions that aren't, you know, your typical white male directors. Like yeah. they're not, their main interest isn't making a superhero movie. It's making a movie that tells this, tells an amazing story. With care, because Marvel has a lot of incredible characters right and sometimes the plot is bigger than the characters and Mm -hmm. this was a movie where the plot only was enhanced by how strong every single character was. every character was like the characters like even the even the minor characters had such amazing like Mm -hmm. it's easy to say that these movies are so packed and they're they they're they have so much to do because this movie did have a job in the marvel universe yeah like this movie is a lead up to infinity war like i watch um like if you watch civil war and then this i guarantee you that that is the lead up to infinity war so this movie had a lot of groundwork to lay and a lot of times when movies have that job like say age of ultron say thor 2 um, they just become a mess of plot yeah. and needing to lay that groundwork and yeah. they sacrifice characters and the justification is always, um, oh, well, they had a lot of work to do. Okay, well, so did this movie. And, and somehow did. it did it and it was like, still, yeah, thing. it still did these, these amazing, quite frankly, revolutionary things in terms of the Marvel universe. Yeah. Like beyond just being, you know, the first black actor-led film that also, is also um i love thor 2 i'm sorry i didn't mean it thor 2 <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's such a mess okay keep going that. but beyond just being like revolutionary in terms of representation it is revolutionary in terms of what it decides to tackle in a such a thoughtful way within the parameters of what this movie needed to be mm-hmm. right yep. like this movie needed to be the lead up the lead up to Infinity War. So it had to include certain plot points. But yeah. Ryan Coogler like seamlessly like sewed that into a story that is about again like coming of age but also the tradition and history of the black community in America and in the world and what that means and what that means for a nation that exists and has isolated itself and saved itself from colonialism and built this really strong thing. Like, what does that mean in a world like today? What is your responsibility? Uh, to, it's just, oh, I like can't handle it. It was. No, I agree. A hundred percent. I think it's <laughs> like, it's just, it's hard to, 
it's just it's hard to put into words the significance of this movie on so many levels because yes. I think it represents a new with this said Thor Ragnarok it's a new direction for Marvel movies yeah for these standalone Marvel movies which have gotten quite frankly boring yes like I don't care about like like these like standalone superhero movies like I want to see the big ensembles like the Civil Wars and the Infinity War because they've just it's just the same thing same story over and over I mean, again with the, with the exception exception sorry Spider-Man Homecoming is also included in yeah. that because I feel like that was a departure as well but it was also wasn't an origin story so right um, so many of the ones that have been focusing on origin stories like you know they show the trailer and there's just the trailer but they show the trailer for Ant-Man and Wasp and it looks like a Marvel movie. Yep. I'm sure it'll not, be funny. Which, I'm sure funny, it'll be funny. It'll be fun, but nothing's going to taste the same after mm-hmm. seeing the movies that we've had this year. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, they, there's like the A level, there's now the A plus level, mm-hmm. and then there's these B level movies that are just kind of like chugging along, it feels like. Which is okay, but. And there's also the argument that like Ant-Man and the Wasp is like Ant-Man that that franchise specific is not for us. It's supposed to be kind of for a younger audience, which would be fine, except that Ant-Man and the Wasp trailer was kind of dark. It was. And like I was like because like I I was fine with Ant-Man in my head being like, okay, that's a little, you know, with his daughter. It's a little bit like the jokes. It's a little bit of a younger audience. But then I was like, well, what are they doing? And also, I guess every every movie can't be this level this was an emotionally exhausting movie to watch not in a bad way in a very good way in in a way that like made me really like i i'm not exactly i kept wanting to pause it yes like i just kept wanting to pause it to like to like absorb like what i was seeing and what i was hearing and what these characters were saying and i like couldn't and then so it was almost like overload for me i know i'm seeing like i'm going again this weekend and taking my husband um taking ryan and he, he's so excited to see. We watched, we watched Civil War last night uh, because he was because he was like, "What can I do to get ready? What can I do?" And Civil I was like, War. "Let's watch Civil War." And so we watched Civil War, and then we watched the Infinity War trailer like eighty-five times. Well, it's funny because I usually I can watch these movies pretty quickly in succession, like mm-hmm. again and again. Like I saw Spider Man like three times in the theater, I think. Um, and I'm gonna see Black Panther again next week, but I need a minute to sit with it. Yeah. Because it was so, I I just wanted to like seep into my bones. Yeah, like you I know? was like after I got out of that theater on Tuesday, I was like I can't go see this on Thursday night. Um, like right, I so needed I needed some time. I feel like okay, so, so let's, let's go talk the about the actual stuff that happens. Yeah. Um. So um, like, <sighs> if this is gonna be a little harder than our usual like like talk throughs because like we've uh, it's like it's a lot. It's a lot. Like, it, it is. Well, so we um, get the backstory of Wakanda with the five opened, tribes. It opens in Oakland. It like, opens, or, no, no, no. First, it, it opens with our, like, teaching us about Wakanda. Yeah, and this, like, yeah. beautiful animation style, by the way. The, like, animation that they use, it's sort of like how I felt when I watched um, Deathly Hallows Part 1. And you have that whole sequence of the yes, three yes. brothers in that, yeah. like, really interesting like uh animation style same thing here that animation was like so beautiful to watch um and it tells you the story of how the first black panther came to be and how four of the tribes agreed to to band together under black panther but the jabari tribe chose not to and went up into the mountains um and how the vibranium meteor came to be in wakanda and all of those things uh and how and why they decided to 
isolate themselves and show the world that they were not what they were, right? To yeah. pretend to be a third world country. Then it cuts to Oakland in 1992. Sterling K. Brown is such a gift. Yes. And he like comes on screen and I start crying. Like the man is just yeah. so Can we good. Just say, this cast is so good. This cast uh, is so stunningly attractive. All of yes. them. Everyone is beautiful. Everyone is so beautiful. Like, I was sitting next to my sister, and I just kept going, whew. And she was like, stop it. <laughs> so Sterling K. Brown um, is at the King T'Chaka. Can't speak. T'Chaka, yeah. uh, his brother. Right. And he has been yeah. undercover in America and has decided and has is become convinced that the Wakandan policy of isolationism is not good and that they mm -hmm. are not supporting um, their fellow men, their fellow um, people of African right. descent right. around the world. And so he has tried to, he is the one who gives Claw the information about Wakanda to steal vibranium. Right. And the implication and here is all the vibranium we've seen throughout the Marvel Universe so far um, is a product of that stolen vibranium. That, mm -hmm. right, Cap's shield, um, Ultron, what else have we, you know, whatever. But, like, that is kind of the implication. Like, that's what, you know. But Cap's shield, how did that happen? Because this didn't, that was in the yeah. 40s. I'm going to look yeah. that up because I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. I mean, that's the implication um, though, right? Like, I don't know if I'm actually like, like, like that's what I, I took away know. from it. Let me put it that way. That's what yeah. I took I don't away know. from it. So, because that's the only vibranium in the world. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. It's been so long since I've watched the first Captain America movie. I can't actually remember. Yeah, I, I, have, um, I, I think I've only seen it once. So, so, in Jorobu, who's Jolene K. Brown's character, uh, uh, we see the scene where T'Chaka confronts him, mm -hmm. and you find out that the friend that Njobu has in that scene is actually also an undercover Wakandan um, agent that he mm -hmm. didn't know who is spying for T'Chaka. And he almost, then that's Zuri, who grows up to be Forrest Whitaker's character, um, who is the priest. One mm -hmm. of the Wakandan priests. And T'Chaka, he's about, Njobu is about to kill Zuri, and then T'Chaka kills him. He's, yeah, claws his heart, basically, um, with his Black Panther claws. It's a heavy beginning. Yep. They leave him there and they fly back. And then it cuts to present day. We yep. see the scene again of, T'Chaka dying, right? Yep. Uh, or does that happen later? Yes. I, I don't remember. I've seen Civil War like twice Either way. The either <laughs> no, way. They like, include I have the that sequence. Scene in my head, so. They include um, the sequence so that we know basically, that Basically, the idea is this movie picks up pretty soon after. It's a week. It's a week yeah. after. They say, right. like, literally, I think at the beginning, because I remember being like, oh, that it has been a week since his father died. Right. So, when they go to pick up T'Challa, we open, we first see T'Challa, um, with um, Okoye, 
in the like one of the like amazing Wakandan spaceships, which the technology, the way they make Wakandan technology look in this film is so cool. Yeah. Like I love the visuals. I love the the conceit behind them, like how smooth everything is. And you know what was something I was surprised by a little bit? Was how funny Chadwick Boseman is. Yeah, I, I agree. I was surprised generally by how funny this movie was. Like the humor is, it's a, it's still a Marvel movie. It's still, yeah. there's still pockets of humor and moments of humor that are so, so funny. Um, yeah. One of my favorite running jokes is the like, how T'Challa like freezes yeah. when Nakia is involved. Nakia, who is played by Lupita oh, yeah. Nyong'o. And is just stunning and amazing in the film. Um, You know, they are going to, quote, rescue her from this mission she's on. And Okoye is like, don't freeze. And Shell is like, I'm not going to (laughs) freeze. And then, of course, he sees her. And of course he freezes. He freezes. And it's just a really lovely little moment. Yeah. Um, And it's a really effective way to show, like, just how in love with her he is. Yes. And also an effective way to tell an entire backstory without telling it in like all. one look ryan coogler is so good i'm sorry yeah. i'm yelling but he's yeah. so good and so we have this whole sequence it's so hard because i don't i know we're already like 45 minutes into this podcast yeah i was gonna say like i don't think we need to really we can't go, go through, through everything scene scene, but, but all we need to do is tell you that like this movie the first sequence with uh nakia and okoye like set the stage for how women are portrayed in this film, which is kick-ass, like, owning themselves, like, very self-sufficient and never at the need of being rescued. Yeah. In, like, personal ways. I think also, because there is a trope that Black women always have to be strong, Mm -hmm. and I think this movie did a really good job of making these women kick-ass, but also vulnerable. Yes. Like, they weren't, they were these, they were all, they were all these, like, very three-dimensional, very fully developed characters. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, like, I just, I was so impressed at how all of them could be vulnerable in one second and, like, you know, take no prisoners in the next. Mm Um, so they pull Nakia out of this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Chala goes through this, like, the setting is, like, so beautiful. Like, the yeah. way, the, like, everything just looks incredible. And so that on, at the bottom of this waterfall, he is saying that, you know, they're opening the kingship up for challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that scene where, like, you look up and you see all those colors. Yeah, so all the tribes oh. are standing alongside the, like, um, sorry, they're at the top of a waterfall, excuse me, are standing along uh, up the mountain looking down at this man being crowned, um, which is also our, like, real, <laughs> can I just talk about Shuri for a minute? Uh, so yeah, Letitia Wright plays T'Challa's teen sister, science whiz, uh, and hilarious yeah. sister Shuri. I She was the best part of this movie for me. I loved yep. her so much. She, you know, the moment where she, they like ask for challenges and she raises her hand as if she's going to challenge her like... throne. Everyone kind of stopped and she's like, this corset's really tight. Can we just get on with this? I was like, this is amazing. She's oh, yeah. it was such whoever like Shh. 
the sibling relationship between the two of them was so real. Yeah. And so just like genuine and funny and loving. Like it was just so wonderful. This is our first introduction to Umbaku, who is the head of the um the which one? Jabari tribe. Jabari, yeah. Okay. I was Sorry. Say the girl Names, tribe. Uh the Jabari the Jabari tribe, um, who he comes to challenge for the throne and there was an incredible yeah. fight scene. Like the fight scene. Yeah, you don't know. And it's guy. really tense because unlike so many movies, you don't know what's going to happen. You really, I really did it. I had no idea. I was like, is this going to be the premise of the movie? He's going to lose and then it has to get back the king. Like I had no idea. Yeah, same. And um, um, But it's a great he, fight sequence. He wins. He he doesn't kill Mbaku. He forces him just to concede and then is crowned. Um, yeah. And then there's, uh, you know, you get to see the, like, world of Wakanda. You get to see, like, these beautiful costumes and, and the tech and the marrying of the two, like, what Wakandan tech looks like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, along with these beautiful visions of Kugler's um, Wakanda in Africa. Like, yeah. it was very cool. Yeah. Um, and we get news of Claw. Yes, who is played so well by um, Andy Serkis. So this introductory scene of Michael B. Jordan as Eric Killmonger, like, first of all, I couldn't handle his, he just so, he's just so handsome. He is. And the sequence in the Great Britain Museum where he is in a room. Oh my God, Looking at African artifacts, which, can I just pause very quickly? And I went to London not last year, but year before in 2016. And I was really apprehensive about going to British museums and seeing Indian artifacts that were stolen during colonization. Mm -hmm. They have so many riches and artifacts and art that were taken out of India. Mm -hmm. Like the Kohanur diamond is Indian. Yeah. And they took it. Like, I mean, all the most of the British crown jewels are Indian. Yes. Like, they there's it was I had a lot of apprehension about seeing these in British museums and not being recognized as being taken. Yeah. Right. They weren't freely donated to these museums. Right. They were taken during during a very violent piece of my parents' country, like their history. Yeah. So this sequence hit home so hard. I leaned over in the theater while it was happening to Jen, who I was with, and I was like, as a descendant of a colonized country, this scene is so cathartic. Yes, it was validating. There's this moment where um, they're looking at these different things. And Michael and Michael Buehner, Eric is asking this um, woman who works at the museum questions about the various artifacts. Yeah. Like, where is this from? Where is this from? And she's giving him the answers like, that's from this tribe and that's from this area and this, this century, whatever. And they get to this one and he's like, what about this one? And it looks sort of like a hatchet. Um, and... You know, she says it's from this area, and he goes, "You're wrong. It's Wakandan, and I'm gonna take it back." And she was like, "Oh, you can't take it." He's like, "Oh, because you got it so nicely. Like, where did this yeah. come from?" And yeah. it was such a moment. I was like, "Yeah, you should yeah. take it." I was like, "Not that we are advocating people walking into museums and stealing no, things, but there not. is, there is a like larger like this is a thing that a lot of countries experience colonization are going through. I mean, like, and it's not just like, like Greece is in like a, it's not like just people of color. Like Greece is in like a, like a 
there's a huge thing with between Greece and Britain because a British guy came in and stole all the marbles from the, like yep. chiseled the marbles off the Parthenon and took them to Britain and that's why they're in the British Museum. But it is especially a problem for like colonized people of color because this is our heritage right. and we don't have any of a lot of us don't have like India is not a wealthy country. We don't have all those jewels and we don't have like there's a lot there's a lot of there's a lot of like political ramifications that we are just being able to discuss now. Yeah. You know? Um, And so when he gets it back, you're kind of like rooting for him. Mm. And it's like, like, so there's this like sort of heist sequence that happens where you find out he has someone on staff and claw comes in and as like um, paramedics, because he's poisoned the museum worker and they get the they get the vibranium because it's actually mm-hmm. vibranium in that in that display case away, mm-hmm. and so it gets back to Ch- T'Challa, um, and they kind of convene about it. His his mm-hmm. council, which includes his mother, who is played by Angela Bassett, so good and like just so incredible. Um, Daniel Kalu- Kaluuya from Get Out and Skins, which. Mm-hmm. It's like, holy crap, uh, who plays his friend Wakabi, uh, whose parents were killed by Claw and his original infiltration of Wakanda. And so Wakabi really wants justice. Yeah. And so there's several other, like, kind of elders and whatever, and some council, like, we should leave it alone because you need to concentrate on leading Wakanda. And, uh, but it's such a slight, it's such like a, it's such a big deal because. It's like an open wound in right, the history. Right, it's an open wound. T'Chaka, like the one thing he wasn't able to do was to get Claw, who killed people on his watch. And so T'Challa says, we're going to go after him. We're going to do it. I'm going to take Nakia. Um, I'm going to take Okoye. And we're going to mm-hmm. go. And he promises Wakabi that they'll bring him back. Yeah. Either kill him where he stands or bring him back. And then they go to Korea. That's so cool, yeah. Amazing sequence! (laughs) Yeah. And so let's talk about, let's kind of talk about, like, so that, that, um, that scene sets up in really interesting tension in the movie, which, there's all these tensions going on in the movie. Mm -hmm. One of which is the tension of, like, what is the responsibility of the king? Yes. What is, like, what is, and then, and then one step Further from that, what is Wakanda's responsibility? What is the Wakandan's king responsibility to his people? And then one step bigger than that, what is um, Wakanda's responsibility to the black community in the rest of the world? Mm-hmm. And these are ongoing tensions, and they are no easy answers. No, but I th- but I think it does a great job. This is what happens when you have a movie with more than one black person. You can. You can appreciate the layers of this and you can have the different discussions without one person having to spout every single it, viewpoint and represent every single Right. Person. It releases that burden of representation because right. you can have so many different points you of view. You can have people who are right. You can have people who are wrong. You can have people like say like there are so many ways to look at these issues and some of them are like, you know, like some of them are like patently like okay that's probably not the best decision but there's a lot of it that's just like I don't know like right. I don't know so they I don't know like I don't know and so and they do that so well they do it so well they find out that 
Claw is selling the vibranium to an American buyer at this like seedy underground club in Korea. Yeah. So the three of them go, um, and they walk into this like. That was a cool scene. That was a cool scene. They walk into this like gambling den um, mm-hmm. to the sounds of Kendrick Lamar and The Weeknd. The song, this soundtrack is incredible. I, it's so hard because this movie is just so good that I just feel like we keep going. It was so incredible. But it, yeah. it was. Um, and this is where we get to see the connection, the first like major connection to With the, the, the MCU. Yeah. Um, where Martin Free- Freeman shows up as uh, CIA agent Ross, yeah. who is the buyer of the Wakandan um, vibration. And he's, he's so good. Ugh. He's so good. I know. He's so, he like, it's like so the hubris of being like, well, we're going to buy this and take it. Yeah. Like it's, we're going to do it. Like yeah. America's going to do this. Like, ugh, so uh, I like don't even know the words. It makes me so mad. Yeah. So that there's a snag because he knows who T'Challa is. Yeah. So he has to go over and say hello to, to Agent Ross. And so everything turns a little sideways. There's yeah. an amazing fight scene. Yeah. And then an amazing car chase scene mm-hmm. where Nakia and Okoye go off in one car and are like kicking ass because there's like all these other cars like when Claw gets out and Andy Serkis who plays Claw in the most manic, fantastically evil, awful way yeah. um, is in one of them and they don't know which car he's in. So then T'Challa comes out, is in his Black Panther outfit and Shuri has this technology that she's created Ugh. so she can drive the car from Wakanda that he's on. And it's so cool. Yeah, it really is. It really is. She is so cool. She's so cool. So there's this like epic cha- like car chase scene in the middle of this movie through the streets of Korea. And um, it's like, got a lot of explosions, a lot of like everything. It's a really cool action sequence. Yeah. He gets his hands, T'Challa gets his hands on Claw. And has to let him go. And yeah. I love the mo- the moment where Okoye is like, I think she says something like, you are the king. And they're all, he looks around and there are all these people watching. Yeah, it's basically like he wants to kill him on the spot. And there's a lot of people watching. With and like the king of, of Wakanda cannot just murder a person. Right. So CIA takes him in. Um, which, again, Andy Serkis even taped to a chair after they've removed his like, scary ass hand a like literal arm gun that blasts energy something or the other uh is so scary just taped to this chair because he's so manic and you don't know you don't know if it's an act you don't know if he's i mean like you don't know what's going on like is he unbalanced like is he uh, you don't know and he proceeds to spill all of the wakandan secrets to agent ross who of course is like okay while um, while, like, T'Challa is watching. Yeah. T'Challa and Okoye are watching. And yeah, they're just, and like, looking at each other. Like, what do like... we do? Nakia is outside watching the security cam and realizes that something is wrong and runs in to say it just as Eric puts the bomb, like, puts a bomb on the wall and they get in. He's got a mask on at this point. But as he's pulling um, Claw out and T'Challa goes to try to fight him, he sees. he sees the necklace with a ring that looks just like his around Eric's neck. And, of course, is like, um... 
how'd you get royal ring like what's going on here what's going on here uh can i just say really quick right here so martin freeman's character throws himself in front of nakia so she doesn't get shot so he gets shot in the back and they have to decide what to do and so they decide to take him back to wakanda and my sister and i were like Never bring the white guy to to your clear subscript. Bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> but thankfully that actually seems to have worked out. We yes. still don't, you know, quite, but it, but it seems, seems to, to have played out. But when he wakes up and Sherry is like, Don't scare me, colonizer. Oh, that like, was ah. so good. <laughs> so good. Bring another broken white boy, but which is that that line was really good because I think Kugler made the right decision and not having cap or bucky in this movie yes. besides you know post credit scene which we'll get to but it it tells you bucky is there frozen yes like um, that it, it 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 delivers that information again like delivers the information you need in one line without having to like get right. bogged down without showing us without any of it it just it just gives it to us which yeah. is like so nice mm-hmm. um so comes back he gets the whole story from Zuri, which is that Njobu well, we had a, the, yeah. in the beginning, Sterling K. Brown's character had a son. And that son is Eric Killmonger. And T'Chaka and Zuri made a conscious decision to leave the kid behind. Yeah. And T'Challa's like, what? 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 How could you do How could you do this? You've created like this. Pulse. Yeah. And it's something that he has to like deal with. So Eric mm-hmm. ends up like Murdering Claw mm-hmm. brings him back to Wakanda and mm-hmm. shows um, uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character, Wakabi, the body. Because Daniel Wakabi is so angry. Yeah, that... he basically feels that the fact that T'Challa didn't bring him back is like a personal slight and proves that he cannot be a I think he, king. Yeah, he thinks he, he can't. He's not a good... Yeah, it puts some doubt in his mind. Yes. So he brings Claw back. Wakabi brings Eric to the throne room. And there's this showdown. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, tense. Something about this movie is that the movie is very tense. And the the pacing is very tense the whole time. Because even in the moments of lightness and in the moments of, like, levity or, like, you know, lighter moments you know that the plot is still going behind you. So you can't truly like ever be comfortable, which yeah. I really appreciated because you shouldn't be comfortable. Yeah. Right. Like I, I thought it was such a strong choice to make in terms of the writing. Yeah. Um, but the sequence I between agree. Michael B. Jordan and Chadwick Boseman in the throne room, two sides of the same coin, but yeah. both, one brought up in privilege and one brought up without and what that meant to not have access yeah. And what that what that can mean for people who don't have access was like so you you don't truly what makes Eric such a good villain is that you're kind he's not of a, on his side. Yeah. He was he was like you just he's not evil. He's not like he's not this like cartoonishly one note. It's the evil two villain. sides of this it's this two sides of the same coin, but done well. And I would argue that Marvel has not done that well. No. Like it's been very clunk like because like if you think about like going back to all the origin story movies, the villain is always just the bad guy with the bigger suit. Right. The like the same suit. Get, like the closest you get and the comparison I keep seeing is to Loki, right? Loki is a gray character. But Loki yeah. is not a great character in one movie. 
Loki yeah. is evil. Then he is like, he gets some heart back. Then he gets some heart back. He's then not he's a cartoon. He's, he's not, not consistent. Right. He's not consistently written. Yeah. Eric is a truly, they're in this movie, this movie's truly gray in that way because Eric Killmonger. Though his actions are not great, yes, he yeah, like we we can't you can and you can sympathize with his backstory and understand how he came to the place he and, is without condoning his actions. But you can agree with some of the things that he's yeah. saying. Like if he had walked in there and been like, "I want a seat on the council, and I want you know, like I want my birthright," like rather fine. than like. Yeah, it's been like, okay, yeah, but that's fair. But also, what he wants to do is what Njobu wants to do, which is open up the borders of Wakanda and help yeah. his brethren and help yeah. the community that they have ignored for hundreds of years. Yeah. And, the, I mean, the way he wants to do it is to get weapons out and to take to become the colonizers, basically. Right. Right? And to take back the position of power that he thinks they are owed. But also, I think it it goes back to what I said before about, like, you can, like, that's, that position doesn't mean the idea of opening up Wakanda and helping others is a bad position. That's right, just kind that's of a I straight mean. way to do it. That's like, what I mean. Right. Um, you don't disagree with him. Yeah. His, like, what he wants, in the end goal of what he wants, which is to and help. And I don't think. T'Challa necessarily disagrees with that. Like, he hasn't figured out, like, he's been a king for, like, four days. Like, he hasn't even figured out, like, what's... No, but T'Challa's thing is the, 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 the staying true to what is Wakandan history, or to Nakia's point, Nakia, who has been out, who yes. is a spy, and who has spent time outside of Wakanda and seen what is happening. And her point is that they should bring in refugees. They should be helping. And T'Challa is very hesitant. Yes. Because that is not the Wakandan way, which is what he right. keeps saying. That is not Wakanda. But that doesn't mean he... I, I think, like, my impression of him was, like, he's, like, trying to absorb this new mantle that he no, has. I agree with you. figure out what he thinks. I agree with you, but unfortunately, I don't think he would have necessarily... I don't think we can say that he would have made the right decision. Oh, no, without, I don't think we can say that. Like, but you can I, all... All you can say is that he was having these conversations. Yes. But he had I, it with Nakia and then he had it with Wakabi, who also was like, we can't do that. Yeah. Right? Like, he's having these conversations with different people, but and we'll never you know. Can, right. You can, you'll never know. But I think that doesn't necessarily, I don't think that T'Challa necessarily thinks that that idea is like, presented in a more reasonable way like no. he was like, to have those conversations I agree like, with, with you. other people I agree with and you. so I think it's just like it's so interesting to see like the nuance in this movie which you don't get in movies no. like this. um so Eric ends up challenging T'Challa get in a brutal, it's a brutal fight. Brutal, because he beats the cr like he just like it's like painful to watch. Yeah, like T'Challa gets one slice on Eric's face, and then Eric like stabs him and slices him several times. And Eric proceeds him. to kill Zuri, who interrupted the rules of combat, yes. who interrupt interrupted tradition. He kills Forest Whitaker's Zuri. He then turns on T'Challa and throws him off of the edge of this like. Yeah. waterfall basically and so everybody thinks he's dead then there's the sequence again of nuance and of seeing the different ways that you can react and what you can do 
when your entire country is unsettled and is unite under the new ruler even even if you know he's not necessarily you don't agree with him right so okoye is the head of the um Dora Mil- Milan, I'm not gonna be able to say this. Correctly. Yeah, Mil- yeah, Milaje. I'm Milaje. sorry, Milaje. Yeah. Um, she stays because it is she serves the throne, not and the, she yeah, very because yeah. Nakia tries to get her to go. Nakia gets, um, Agent Ross, uh, T'Challa's mother, and Shuri out, and takes yes. them to Umbaku. Who is played by the incredible Winston Duke and is so outstanding Good. and fun to watch because he's yeah. funny, but he's a little menacing. He's like this big dude who is such a presence on screen. Yeah. And you find out, of course, that they have T'Challa. T'Challa you know, still alive. Um, and I thought it was incredible that, like, I expected him to step in when they were going to give T'Challa the flower mm-hmm. and, and like I expected to, yeah I expected him to step in and be like that was what you offered me for protection and now you're gonna like and he didn't because he at the like it was I thought that was an incredible like that was an incredible he has on that's what and stereotypically that's what would happen in a, like that's like in a, in a plot yeah. yeah like when you're trying to introduce like but it's it was it was really well done yeah so the conflict he you know they bring T'Challa back. T'Challa goes and speaks with his father again. You know, there's this yeah. because dream. they have to do this. It's not a dream sequence because it actually, you know, you it, it seems it like it actually sends him to the cusp of the, the land of the, yeah. you know, whatever. He speaks to T'Chaka and he asks him why, like mm-hmm. why, and he was like, I had to make a choice. It had to be about Wakanda. And in that moment, you see T'Challa realize that, like, he he straight up says, I think that like we have created this ourselves and we have yeah. to deal with it ourselves. And so he goes back, he goes to confront um, Eric, and the whole battle sequence is so tense because Eric has sent ships off with Wakandan weaponry mm-hmm. that are going to their, like, uh, spies that are all over the, con- all over the world. And you, you, you know that that weaponry can't get out because the minute yeah. it's out, there's no way it's coming back in. And so... Shuri and um, Shuri and Agent Ross are the ones who are in charge of like trying to get those ships down. Like Agent yeah. Ross is flying like a phantom ship with the same technology. It's it's, it's great. At it's the really same good. time, like uh, Wakabi and his entire tribe have turned against T'Challa mm-hmm. because he believes in Eric's vision now, and they're fighting. The Dora Milaje. Because and... the whole thing is, it's the Dora Milaje that serves the throne, but technically now, T'Challa is still the king of Wakanda because the challenge is not complete because he has not yielded and he is yep. not dead. So, the do- <sighs> but I think also there's a thing where she recognizes that she cannot serve this king. Right. There is a moment in the, f- the three... I think three, maybe four, I can't remember, Dora Milaje who fight Eric head on while T'Challa is in the field fighting um, Wakabi's tribe alongside the other ones. Their fight, the three of them versus him, is so good because at this point he has been imbued with like Black Panther powers. And so they're that sequence where they lock their spears together around him and they're like, get the necklace, get the necklace. I was like, get the necklace! Yes, yeah, so good. Oh, But they don't. They um, don't. And then, then so this ends up kind of Martin Freeman and Shuri and is one, and then the Dormala, like the basically the two tribes 
like uh, the Dormalaje aren't a tribe, but you know, like fighting in the field and then Killmonger and T'Challa fighting. It's like the well, three. Well, because first uh, Nakia and Shuri have to come out and try to fight Eric. Right. Which is the the women are able are have such agency in this movie. Yeah. Um, and there is a moment where what pulls T'Challa is that you think Eric is going to kill Shuri. Mm-hmm. And I, I, yes, they make the right decision to not kill her because if they had fridged her, I would have been so angry. Yeah. They don't kill her. So T'Challa and Eric go off and fight. And it's thanks to Shuri's invention that destabilizes vibranium that he is able to eventually beat Eric. Yeah. Um, which was a great little, like, like, I knew that was going to help when she, like, maze, makes the point to mention it earlier on. Yeah. Which is, I think, the one thing that I was like, I know that's coming back. Um, that last sequence. Oh, and M- the M'Baku's tribe comes to help. The yeah. Dormilaje I mean, I think everyone, I think everyone who's listening to this has seen the movie. Right. Um, <laughs> we skip things. I'm sorry. sorry. The last sequence of... <laughs> I, we didn't mention Eric when he took when he went back to the land to see his father. Yes, that was between a that was good. That was good. Uh, Sterling K. Brown and the little boy who played Eric and Michael B. Jordan um, mm-hmm. is so. It gives you like you already sort of were unsettled by the fact that you agree with this person that you see where he's coming from, and that humanizes him in such an important way. Yeah. Because then the sequence where he sees the sunset with T'Challa and he has this spear in his chest and T'Challa offers him like, we can heal you. And Eric says, and lock me up? No, bury me in the ocean along with all the others who would rather die than live in bondage. Yeah, like the basically like the my ancestors who jumped off the ships rather right. than live, like, you know, the slave ships rather than and... live in bondage. It was it's a like, really powerful moment. It was a powerful moment, and then he rips the and the fact that T'Challa doesn't force him. He like, doesn't force him. He doesn't. He lets him make the choice and doesn't I, be like, "No, I'm going to save you." But I also think in that moment, he is recognizing what Wakanda's part. Uh, what's the word? What they. The role, maybe? Their role in yeah, I think I know that story. Yeah. And he is recognizing that it's not something he can ever understand. Yeah. And so that even the, like, far shot where Eric pulls the spear out of his chest and then falls. And I said yesterday, like, I'm going to be thinking about Eric Killmonger for a long time. Yeah. Because he is... I think I agree the best villain in any Marvel movie. I think I'm a little sad because I think Thanos is going to seem cartoonish in comparison. Oh, yes. And absurd in comparison to someone like Killmonger, who is like a villain, but he wasn't. Because the true villain is colonialism and slavery. And I mean, Martin Freeman makes a really good statement in... um... And like when he was, they they told him that he burned the plants. Mm-hmm. They told him that Killmonger oh. ordered the plants burned. And Martin Freeman's like he's doing what he was trying to do. Well, no, I think the most important thing Martin Freeman says is when they're looking at Eric's like image, and he goes, "Oh, he's one of ours." 
Yeah, no, I mean, but that's right? the same thing. It's right. The, I mean, like, it's, it's saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, we did that. Yeah, we like, who this. trained him? We white, made this. White right? men trained him. Ooh, it's like, a it's a, yeah, no, it's a, it's a look. And so at the end of the day, um, you know, black or uh, T'Challa is the king. And um, is that the, and then we kind of, well, he, that, the big thing is that he makes the decision. Yeah. Like that's the, in the post credit scene. Like the two, I think these are the two, so two of the best post credit scenes um, in terms of just like giving exposition and yeah. like kind of like he, like Kugler used those scenes to such great effect to bridge um, the movie into the larger Marvel universe. Yeah. So they decide, he decides to open up Wakanda. He, he tells everybody he, you know, goes to the United Nations, whatever. He tells everyone Wakanda exists as it actually exists. Mm-hmm. And he opens, he starts opening up centers, uh, STEM centers, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that Shuri gets to head up. And yeah, Nakia that was, yeah, will yeah. also help. Head that up. wasn't a post credit um, scene. That was at the end of the movie. Oh, and when T'Challa and Nakia finally kissed, I was super excited. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish excited. they'd had a, I, I love them as a couple, but I didn't think their chemistry was off the charts. I'm not going to lie. I disagree. I, I loved not, it. I think I, I'm so glad. Like, I love them as a couple and they're stunning, but. Um, I disagree. I thought their chemistry was so good. Um, uh, I thought their chemistry during like the freeze scenes was much better than like that. La- those last kisses. I will admit. Nope. I um, loved it. But, uh, then and the, then, oh, that was the end of the movie. Um, and then the second post-credit scene no that was the end of the movie like i was wrong and then the first post-credit scene is in front of the un oh right yes um basically saying that we're t'challa saying we're not going to hide anymore yeah going to start you know helping our fellow countries and then there's that asshole who's like how is a third world country gonna help and then it's basically and i my impression is this is because it feels like it's about to be an i am iron man like they they kind of cut at that point smiles yeah i'm it's fine with but it really felt a lot like passing off the mantle yes cap and iron man to t'challa is going to be the next leader of the avengers yes. that's what it yes. felt like yeah um, and i was really happy about and that and then the very very last end credit se- sequence is when there's someone wakes up in a hut and of course it's Bucky as he comes out and he's talking to Shuri and that's the true like and this is how we're gonna get to Infinity War yep and so because like you know in Infinity War a lot of those battles take place on the fields of Wakanda yeah and so this kind of explains like you know what's going on and supposedly there's a comic that bridges kind of tells like where all the Avengers are at the um like at the end of like kind of going into infinity war, but mm-hmm. I'm probably read it because I am taking a break from comics right now. Um, so anyway, but yeah, no, it was a great movie. Like I, I think it's, that's, that's a complete understatement. Um, it was an exceptional movie and I'm so glad it lived up to expectations. Yes. I think it, like, I think it, 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 there was a, there's always a fear when you're dealing with a landmark movie that it's not going to be as good as we all want it to, but we can't say anything because for fear we're for fear people will interpret that as not supporting movies, movie for or not supporting or for fear of people like in the industry to be like, oh well, see movies. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Don't well, you do- know, it's work twice as hard to get half as far yeah and so I mean, like there's always that fear and yeah. so it's so gratifying to be like no this is 
this might be the best Marvel movie, period. Yes. Like, it, I think it's it, certainly I think it, the most ambitious and it's certainly the most well crafted. Yeah. And I'm hoping that this is a signal that Marvel is going to get more creative. I agree. I think the there. three films that they had come out in this era, you know, um, Homecoming, Thor, and Black Panther are all symbols of what these films can be when you let the people you let the reins a little bit you like let go a little bit and let them do what they want to do and do it well yeah i agree (sighs) that was a lot all right so we're really far into this so we will wrap up you know with our last stuff pretty quickly um i think it's worth uh mentioning that we're pretty much at our first anniversary yes and it's it's been a nice little run, and we're hoping it goes for a lot longer. When I was originally writing like our show notes, I wrote twentieth anniversary. <laughs> it's like how old uh, do you think we are? Yeah, like it, it is. It's it's like let's hope we get to our twentieth anniversary. I know, oh my really God. nice. Um, but you know, it's it's really nice. I think we've built something. Um, I think we've built something special with this and for our community, but also like our larger community. And I think one of our goals for the next year of the podcast is to focus more on our community yeah, in different ways and um, like focus more on South Asian community. And we'll try and, you know, do that and, you know, promote other people's projects to, you know. Well, more more Give to back. come on that. Yeah. More to come on that because we have we have some plans in place. We have some plans, the but there were there's still, you know, there's still, you know, how we are. We we plan a lot, and then we'll see what we'll see what materializes. Exactly, because uh, we're both tired. So <laughs> there's a lot happening. Yeah. Um, very very quickly, what we're into. Um, I'm watching a lot of sitcoms, so please watch one day at a time on Netflix. I want this to get renewed. So really need you to watch it. It's amazing. It is a remake of the original series from a long time ago, 70s, maybe. I don't really know. Um, Only centering around a Cuban American family. Rita Moreno Mm -hmm. is in it. She's amazing. It's very funny and representative. Like it takes it goes in directions that you don't expect a traditional sitcom to go. And also, I've just caught up on New Girl, which I watched two and a half seasons of in, like, three days. Um, And I think New Girl is doing some of the best work in terms of representing a first-gen Hindu-Indian-American character with Hannah Simone and um, her character, Cece Parikh. Yes. They never... That is a character that is written for uh, Indian people first. I have no. I, I'm not gonna lie. I had no interest in New Girl until you just said that. She there are whole sequences where she like speaks Hindi or there's Hindi and there's no translations, but they're still very funny. It's like not nonsense. Like there are still jokes in there. Um, there is a whole Bollywood dance that is a better choreographed Bollywood dance than I've ever seen on So You Think You Can Dance. <laughs> it's. Her character is really good. Like, the first few seasons, you know, they don't let her be as funny, but she becomes, like, really comes into her own, and the writing is there for her as an Indian-American character, first and foremost, for us. Mm -hmm. Like, they sold me on her one day in one of the episodes in, like, season three, I think, where she was like, you know Rajiv Uncle? He just thinks he's so Joombada, like, Joombadaba Joom, and I was like, holy crap! (laughs) That's awesome! Um... So yeah, I it's like the last season is 
a short season and it's starting in April and I think it's only running like 10 episodes, but it's all on Netflix and Hulu. So check it out. And Hannah Simone just got cast in as the lead in that new sitcom that is an Indian American lead. Yeah. Um, The name of which is escaping me because I just. Yeah, I don't remember. I saw the I saw the news and I was really excited. But yeah, um, but we'll put we'll put it in the show notes. Um, so I am currently rewatching Frasier because, um, John Mahoney just died, who played the dad on Frasier. And I used to love that show so much. And I know Kelsey, I'm pretty sure Kelsey Grammer is a terrible human. Yeah. That's okay. Like, that's fine. Like, whatever. I, I'm at a point now where everyone is a terrible human and I will just acknowledge it and watch what I want to watch. That's kind of my, as long as I acknowledge it and realize that this is a thing and the show is so white. Like also acknowledging that, but it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's it's fun. The humor is still really good. Um, it's still it's it's I think aged better in some ways than Friends. I'll be honest, because Friends were and I'm only like half a season into Frasier at this point. Friends relies a lot on gay jokes, like anti like homophobic jokes. Um, but Friends relies a lot on just like dated humor, and Frasier's just basically making fun of Frasier. And like what a pompous ass he is, which I am always here for. So it's um it's pretty it's pretty uh of course there's some like stuff that is not great, but you know it's aged uh, it's aged better than I would say Friends has, um which I also rewatched not too long ago. So um but we are part of the Hard Knock Life podcast network, so check out some of the great podcasts on that network. There's it's all like POC fronted um podcasts and i'm you know do, it's doing excellent work lenard's a color generally keith does excellent work and the podcasts in the network also excellent um and let's see we're also partnered with granger leadership academy which is part of the harry potter alliance i believe the deadline has passed now to purchase tickets to their event, but keep an eye out. Um, they do really good. Just have heart. the Harry Potter Alliance generally does really good work, especially if you are a fan of things and with the way the world is now, you want to turn that into activism. That's a gr- it's a great, great resource. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our Patreon subscribers. Uh, yeah, thank you to I Ben and Very Smelly, Fazia and Anne Marie at the ten dollar level, and Martha, Brandy, Rahul, Sam, Jordan, Annie, Megan, Claire, Brian, Robert, Guy, Three, Maya, and the Nut family at the five dollar level. Every time we do this, I'm like, I cannot believe all of you guys support us. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, um, in a couple of weeks, we'll we'll be doing uh, the Two Towers as part of our Lord of the Rings rewatch. Um, yeah, so. And then in March, discuss A Wrinkle in Time mm-hmm. as part of. One of as a request from one of our patrons, the new movie, not the book. Also, I'm sure we'll also discuss the book, but specifically referring to the awesome, amazing movie. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at Desi Geek Girls, and I am at Run With Skizzers. I'm at Krish. I'm at Krishna. <laughs> no. Oh my God. At least yeah. I didn't give Preeti's like handle, which I think I did once. Um, <laughs> I am at S Krishna, and keep an eye out for at the Daisy Geek Girls handle because we will, like as Preeti mentioned, we will give away a few um, advanced copies of the anthology she is in. Please um, rate us on iTunes. Yeah. We think it helps. I don't know. I I don't know anymore. But rate us because I guess that's where. Because everyone like, else says that at the end of podcasts, and so yeah. we think it's true that we're not entirely sure. But still, please do it. Um, in the meantime, I'll see you oh, in hell.